Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. I am excited today to have Mitchell Amador. Mitchell is the CEO of a really cool company and one that is helping secure DeFi and crypto so the rest of us can feel a little bit safer. And we like profiling these kinds of solutions because we think it's so critical. So Mitchell, welcome aboard. You're the CEO of Immunify and uh, please introduce yourself and tell us about yourself and then how you ended up in this crypto insanity. Tell me about yourself is always one of the scariest of questions. <laughs> I don't know what to say. But uh, well, you started in Canada, right? So I'm from Canada. I'm from Vancouver. Uh, had my first taste of crypto there with the libertarian communities originally, and eventually made my way over to beautiful sunny Portugal, uh, from where Immunify was effectively born been in the space a long time. So if you've ever seen projects like Steemit from back in the day, the first social media platform or NXT, which spawned things like Waves or IOTA or Lisk, or if you've seen Decentraland, or if you've ever seen Sophia the Robot, then you've seen examples of my work. Nice, uh, what were you doing on those pro- uh, some of those projects? Uh, usually I led the marketing community media nice. side. So nice. how do we bring in, draw attention to the amazing things that we're doing and create know, machines create vast operating systems for promoting these concepts and hopefully making them successful in the case of something like Steam and Decentraland, the utilities. So you end up in Portugal and you've worked on a lot of projects. You have all the credentials of a crypto native and helping grow projects. And someday this idea for Immunify pops into your head. How did that come about? Yeah. So Immunify is, you know, really the product of my all those experiences building those those projects so there there are two things that i learned there number one is almost all of them had security incidents of one form or another and you don't usually get to hear about that right you don't get to hear about the insider attacks you don't get to hear about the attacks on your infrastructure that didn't quite make it through or were contained at some level or another Uh, but i did because i was there i was often dealing with the consequences of them from uh, reorganizing internal processes, from making new hires in the security domain, or from managing the blowout on the media side and the comm side. So, you know, number one is I was very familiar with how frail our systems were, with how, you know, people really haven't figured out key management and they really don't secure their infrastructure. And it's just hard to do that. So there was that side of the equation. 
Uh, and the other side of the equation uh, was that at that time, I myself was playing with DeFi quite a bit. And I had my money in a variety of contracts and I was getting really antsy about it. I was like, oh, how do I know that this code is secure? I was there for the DAO hack. I saw how that all went south. You know, how do I know that won't happen to me? And I, I didn't get any assurance for that. There wasn't anything that boosted my confidence. So I had to go on this, this deep dive to find out why that was. And it's from that deep dive where I discovered, okay, but we really don't, or we didn't at that time, you know, we really didn't have a lot of the security tooling that we needed to create a safer space. And it's out of that, that need that I was like, okay, you know, something like Immunify needs to exist because DeFi needs more protections for their users. Right. When you first started thinking through this, was it just a more general security consulting service or auditing service? How did you, did you immediately come into kind of like, oh, we really need to get hackers hacking on projects and reward them for helping us? It was definitely the latter. And this is probably due to my background in the community building side of things. Like I've seen time and time again, the amazing work that you can do if you can bring, you know, a hundred or a thousand good and motivated people to bear on a particular problem. Right. So when I saw this, and I had lots of friends who are bug hunters or auditors or CTOs at various crypto companies. When I saw this problem, I was like, well, you know, this is, this has an easy solution, right? We just get more eyes on code. We get people to responsibly disclose it. And we just need the infrastructure for facilitating those disclosures and the incentives to encourage them. So I was like, okay, I know exactly how to do that. And I know that would work at scale. So that's the way it should take form. That's the particular expression or the particular contribution to security for DeFi protocols that I am uniquely well positioned to do. Nice. So all the, we, now we do a variety of security stuff, right? Now we do war rooms. Uh, we have audit someone's general security processes and infra. We do all sorts of additional work, but I had no idea about those things. Previous. I did not imagine that I would be, you know, doing a war every two weeks to help save people from getting hacked. I had no conception. I just thought, hey, we need, you know, 100,000 hackers reviewing every single DeFi contract, and that's going to be the greatest possible guarantee of security that we can get. Nice. And I do think it's simplistic in concept. Obviously, building that is more difficult. So why don't you first kind of tell us what Immunify does, and then let's kind of get into how you built this company and were able to kind of grow to where you are and then how it works. Yeah, okay. So for everyone who's curious about what the end value of this, you know, of a bug bounty platform, which is what Immunify is, the simple answer is the real tangible value we create is we prevent people from getting hacked. And that's pretty great when you're a founder, right? And you're, <laughs> you're, you're a DeFi founder and you've poured your, your heart and soul into building this protocol. A lot of your, your identity is wrapped up into it. A lot of expectations from people who know you are wrapped up into it. A lot of your money is wrapped up to it, probably the majority of your net worth. And the idea of a hack happening and wrecking all that is about the most terrifying possible thing that can happen. Sure. In addition to just like, you know, losing 20 or $30 million to hackers that came from normal users. Like that's a crushing experience. So we prevent that bug bounty platform it's just a particular way of doing that by getting anyone, by creating a means for anyone to disclose vulnerabilities they find in smart contract code to the project and facilitating mitigation as quickly as humanly possible. Right. 
So the idea is that you help projects set up a bounty program so that people from the outside can say, hey, I found a bug that could be exploited. I found another vulnerability that could be exploited. And there's a reward system to pay them for finding the problems with that project. Right. So you can, you know, a bug bounty program, it sounds so technical and expert, and, you know, very dramatic. <laughs> but what we should really think about it is an, is an offer to purchase. You're saying, hey, I'm looking for this kind of information uh -huh. and I will pay this much for it and I'll know its value because it will do X, Y, or Z things. I'll know that it'll lead to freezing of funds. I'll know that it'll lead to extra gas costs. I know that it'll lead to some delay on my on my contracts. I know that this is a sandwich attack, right? And I'm willing to pay this much money for this kind of thing. Once you think of it that way, then it's like, oh, okay, this is just a transaction. And they're telling you what kind of thing they want, even though they can't define specifically what that thing will look like in practice. That's great. So I'm assuming kind of when you sit down with a potential project that wants to set up bounties, you kind of, you have a menu and you say, <laughs> Here's all the things that people could potentially find about your project. And these are what we kind of recommend you, the rewards be based on your total bug bounty budget, right? Well, it will vary. So there, there's two sides. You know, number one is helping the project in question understand what kind of vulnerabilities they should be looking out for. So a project like, uh, let's say, Perpetual Protocol that has a, v, a virtual automated market maker needs different kinds of protections than, say, you know, Lido, which has a single pool of ETH. And both right. of those need different kinds of protections than anyone who's trying to protect web assets, which is just a Got completely it. different piece. Okay. So we have standardized systems for those two, but every project needs to modify them individually. Okay. And we'll help them think about, okay, well, what would the actual impact be here? What is the worst case event? Let's calculate that. And this helps us look at the budget question. Because if you think about it of the, from the perspective of, oh, I have this much in my bug bounty budget, that's a little backwards. In this case, we're talking about a catastrophic event, or I should say, we can use that way of thinking for low, medium highs, but right. when we look at criticals, we need to price this in a different way. Okay. Right. Financially speaking, you're talking about an event with, you know, unlimited potential loss. Right. The potential loss is, you know, not only does it steal all the money in the contracts, but it destroys all the value of the token, the right. pseudo equity, if you will. You're dead. So what's the value of that? Right. What's the value of not being dead? How should we think about that? Should we budget for it? <laughs> That's awesome. Right. And That's it, your it's tag a tough line. question. What's, you what's should the just value think about of not it being as, dead? Basically, you know, that's yeah. that's really the calculation that we're making. And the sure. reality is it's not infinite, right? Because it's, it's a project that may yet survive their extenuating circumstances, but it is a lot. And every team needs to think individually about where they want to set that cap. Right. So I'm assuming some of them sit and calculate some percentage of existing TVL or whatever. Um, what? What? What percentage of the projects that come to you have already been hacked? That's a great question. That's a spicy question. <laughs> but I would say probably only, you know, three to 5%. Oh, that's awesome. That's much better than I thought. Well, consider we have a uh, 150 partners. Nice. At this point. 
Nice. Right. So, you know, 5% is seven ish. And, and that's about realistic. Probably anywhere seven to 10 of those projects have been half. Like we're talking what Alpha, Popsicle, Pancake Bunny. That's... I guess cream. Oh, you know, now that I think about it, this, this list could get longer than I think. <laughs> okay, it's probably more than five. You know, call me on well, it. Maybe they've already been hacked, but they didn't necessarily come to you because they were hacked, right? But but that said, even if it was 15%, that's very encouraging to me that proactively projects in DeFi are saying, I got to do this because it's an important component of running a project, right? So you become you become a standard function of a, of a DeFi project as opposed to, oh, I'm a little nervous, I'm a little scared, I gotta do this, right? So I, I think that's great. That's, that, that's a great number to me. You have a very good intuition for it. So there is this DeFi security stack that's appearing, you know, like six months ago, there was really nothing, right? right. Maybe use some of the Zeppelin tooling and to like, you know, if you had someone talented on your team, they would be, you know, playing around with the kid there some of the other fancy tooling. But generally there's a lot of YOLOing going on. Whereas now it's become almost a, a standard part of the security stack for you to have a bug bounty. Right. right? And a bug bounty of sizable proportion. So this is a great plus. Like we're heading into a new era where the bar is just raised for the yeah. security of these projects. I'm pretty excited about it. And it's good for Immunify. Well, you know, it's good. <laughs> While we're there, what's What's the the revenue model for Immunify as a percentage of 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 bugs uh, bounties paid? Or uh, if I'm if I'm a project coming to you, how do I do business with you, and how do you get paid? Sure. So we have two forms of fees, right? There's the consulting-ish stuff, the service fees, and then there is the the marketplace fees. So our basic and our primary revenue driver is just fees on top of bounties. The okay. larger the bounty that you pay out, the greater our percentage fee. We take 10% on top of whatever bounty is paid out. So for example, let's suppose, you know, I have, let's suppose some bug hunter finds a vulnerability in Brad Nichols project. And you're just oh, so, so sure it was secure. And it turns out to be, you know, pretty, pretty bad. And you're, you're going to pay out a $50,000 bug bounty for that. Well, our fee on that would be 10%. So 10, you know, 50,000 would go to the bug hunter in question as his reward for surfacing this valuable information. And right. then $5,000 separately would come to us as our fee for enabling it all and facilitating it. Great, so you're not taking out of the pocket of the, the, the hunter, you're taking it from the company, which I think is obviously a smart model because it makes the hunters feel better. Because essentially the, the hunters are, are your customers as well, right? I mean, you want these people happy and working hard and diligently going after every project in your in your group. And I don't mean that from a profit model, I mean it from people aren't gonna keep bringing you bounties if you don't have guys who are actually really working hard to get those bounties. Precisely. So, you know, <laughs> fundamentally we're a double-sided marketplace and nice. we follow all of those dynamics and rules. Yeah, and then, the other really interesting thing is, is your customers on the project side really, really want to have to pay those bounties, right? Because you want, I mean, I assume, unless they think they're perfect, because I would assume that their motivation is, is that, that they have, that these guys are really finding the holes for them. That's a really interesting dynamic. 
It is, it is. It's, it's a mixed bag because it's impossible to know that your code is perfect. It's impossible to know that your contracts are secure, but sure. you really want to be that guy. You've probably <laughs> done everything you could to be that guy. Yeah. And you know, at a certain point you act like it, you know, you paid for all the big auditors, you have an internal code review team, you use all the good tools, and then you get that message, right? You get the, hey, you up? And uh, you discover you weren't perfect. And you're very, you're thankful. You're like, wow, you know, you saved my users from getting robbed for 50 or $100 million. I'm so thankful for that. But also, you know, FML, why did this happen to me? Yeah. What could I have done? So it's a, well, we like to say that the reporting is the second worst day <laughs> of their lives. But the worst is if they got hacked. The, right. the second worst is we saved you from getting hacked, but you could have been. So you messed up somewhere along That's, the line. Sorry to I'm say. hopping around here, but I'm actually enjoying where the conversation's going. I, I noticed in the website that you also tell hackers, hey, if you found a bug or a vulnerability and we don't have a bounty program with them yet, we'll protect you, your anonymity, as long as you haven't hacked them and we'll present to the project your bug i'm assuming to set up some kind of bounty on behalf of that hacker How, has that happened a lot yeah yeah so you're talking okay. about our disclosure assistance work yeah this is a basically a, a charitable initiative that we launched so lots of hackers find vulnerabilities in projects they have no idea how to get in touch with or the projects will straight up ignore them because they look like low status, you know, suspicious people who are asking them for something. And they're just like, no, I just want to get this disclosed and fixed because I think it's dangerous. And a lot of guys do that work. You know, a lot of people are willing and able to make that contribution to the community, but they don't have the ability to go get a mitigation made because they can't even surface their message to the right person. Right. So we come in using our weight, using our network, using our relationships to say, hey, if you bring us a high value vulnerability that meets such and such requirements, then we will disclose it on your behalf. And to the best of our ability, we will request that they give you a bounty. We don't take anything for the work. You know, we don't nice. benefit financially in any way. It's just kind of a goodwill service. Let's just say people find a lot of things. <laughs> so that keeps you, know, you busy. We've done disclosure assistance for at least, you know, 200 separate incidents at this point. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Does that often lead to a new client? Sometimes I'd say it's like, you know, the odds are 25% chance that nice. it will lead to a new client. But when it does, we're like, oh, that's great. That's nice. That's cute. That's a great lead. We, gen. It is a good lead gen. We are much more happy when the projects decide that they want to pay the bug hunter. Cause then we're sure. like, you know, this guy is going to do more of this work. And of that's course. Just, how many how many hunters do you do you have kind of you think on a regular basis working for you as freelancers that's tricky to say we have about uh, i believe 3500 you know smart contract hackers who work wow. with us wow but then on like a regular basis if i'm looking at dailies i'd say probably about 10 percent, 300 oh. of them logging in hunting for something on a daily basis nice nice that's awesome it's tough work. You know, you, it's hard. Smart contracts are generally harder to attack than a lot of web stuff because the security requirements are so much higher. You know, people sure. are thinking about it. From yeah, day yeah. One. 
But I, there's a whole, I'm sure there's an entire culture of people that would l just love that challenge. Okay, let's rewind back to starting this whole thing. You know, you're a marketing community builder. You obviously have some technical understanding going in, but you're about to launch this, or you're building this security-oriented hacking exploit finding company. What did you have to do for your own expertise or to bring in team members to be able to, to be able to, to get to this point. Mission DeFi is sponsored by Material Indicators. Material Indicators brings science to investing and helps investors make more informed and smarter trading decisions. Their powerful community of thousands of experienced investors is free to join and is available to anyone that wants to learn more about trading crypto successfully. Visit their website at materialindicators.com. That's materialindicators.com or join their community on Telegram by searching for Material Indicators. Sure, so I, I'm no technical expert. You know, I've been in this space long enough to be, I guess, sophisticated to some degree, but sure. coding is not my cup of tea. So I knew that I was gonna need help with this. Now, I just spent, in order to find out that I should build them unified, find out what this would really be a solution, a comprehensive solution to the DeFi security problem. I had just gone through about 50 different interviews with people around the space. That included a bunch of friends of mine at various projects, nice. a number of which were interested in helping. So when I decided, it's like, okay, we need to go and do this. If we can do this, we're going to help a lot of people. It's a must. It needs to exist. I already had a short list of people who knew me, trusted me, who knew what I was after, who knew the severity of the problem because the interviews naturally reveal that. And I was able to ask them if they wanted to help along. One nice. of those was Trajan Keith. You know, he and I worked together at the NXT Foundation many, many years ago. And he heard this and he was like, I have seen this problem a hundred times. Crypto bug bounties are a joke. We like, we, it's, it doesn't even make sense to help people in crypto. It's insane given the amount of money and wealth on the lines. It's not good we should fix this. I'm like, great. You know, got the co-author of the Hyperledger white paper. He's on my side. That's phenomenal. That's awesome. There's one guy, you know, he's the first co-founder and with him, you know, comes a lot of relationships, comes a lot of resources, comes a lot of sophistication. He had also run bug bounty programs for some time. And then the other, a good friend of mine, a very ex Dropbox engineer introduced me to one of his college mates. He said was the best security person he ever met. This was some time before the launch. This gentleman's name was Duncan. I told him about the project. He persuaded to tell me about all the different ways that things could go wrong <laughs> and how difficult the operation would be and the kinds of immense technical challenges and how we would probably end up you know, being a great target for attack and just how crazy this environment was probably going to get. You know, just given what we know about zero days, in traditional tech and how valuable those are and the, the fights and conflicts for them. And I said, okay, well, those are all true, but are you in? He's like, ah, of course I'm in. <laughs> yeah, because you're presenting an exciting challenge to him too. How much of what he thought could happen did happen? Oh, much, much more than what he thought could happen <laughs> did happen. I think he, he underestimated, like we've had multiple incidents where there's hundreds of millions of dollars in cash and this isn't counting, you know, multi-billion dollars in token equity. There's hundreds of millions in cash on the line. We've had incidents where, you know, there's just money lying out in the open. 
oh. there's nothing we can do. And it's just us and some other set of randos on a, on a Zoom call or on a Hangouts or on a whatever. We're on trying to figure out how to fix this, knowing that nobody notices. Monitoring the mempool. Wow, right? wow, that's intense. So I you don't, know. I read you know, the re the recaps of the the sushi that sushi incident the other day with Miso. I, I I'm sure you saw that, and I it read like a thriller. You know, I was actually excited listening to it. Now that just may be the nerd in me, but but I I was like, wow, this is really exciting. So I have to believe that as you guys are dealing with these issues and situations, because you're now doing more than just the bug hunting, you're actually doing war rooms to help people resolve issues. That's, I'm sure, stressful, but also a pretty exciting thing when you finally get to closure on having solved the issues. I mean, how often are you guys in war rooms in those situations? I'd say... Probably every three weeks, we wow. have at least war, one war room. Wow. And that's here I'm talking about big and dramatic ones. That doesn't include the minor things where you know you have a known vulnerability, but you can easily upgrade the contracts. It's now just a race against time to find out what the right fix is. Those are much more frequent, right? Because right. that'll happen every time we have a higher critical vulnerability. But for very dramatic war rooms, probably once every three weeks. That's incredible. Wow. That's and naturally they they only happen, you know, around midnight, midnight, 3 a.m. <laughs> say two in the eight. morning. <laughs> it's got to be then. Right. <laughs> and they always, the hacker's always on your time zone or the bug happens on that. That's amazing. Okay. So you guys start off. What was the, you know, when you launched, what was the initial response to the launch, right? Did you have like everybody, I need this today or was it a slog? It was a slog. I mean, okay. it was a slog that became, I need this today quickly, but that slog was pretty sloggy. But yeah. people, we launched and people were like, wow, this is a great resource. You guys have a list of all the bug bounties in this space. That's so useful. But what do you, you know, how do you make money? Uh, what do you do? And we're like, oh, well, we're trying to, we list bug bounty programs too. And they're like, ah, your bounties are small. Or when we started getting larger bounties, for context, you know, our work has been the main driving force in pushing up the size of bug bounties. All of the top 10 or so, you know, largest bug bounties in the world have been us and all of them have been us in succession. Right. So nobody really believed that at first. Like when we launched the, the uh, Badger Dow, $500,000 bug bounty, I believe this was in January. That was the first one of its kind. People were like, I don't even think this is real. I think you guys are a bunch of liars. I think you're just trying to, you know, get someone to give you vulnerabilities so that you can exploit them yourself. Oh, man. I think that, yeah, there was all sorts of things, but they just didn't believe. Right. Right, and getting past that was a slog. Getting past that was work. Sure. To go no. from being just a toy and a gimmick to, wow, Taking this is seriously. a really useful tool. Yeah, what's the largest bounty right now program? $2.5 million. That's incredible, who's doing that? That's the graph. They will pay right. up to $2.5 million per for a single critical. Oh my God. I thought that was like the total bug bounty budget. No, that's per. No. Wow. Just per. Wow. Okay. That's too bad. I should go back and take those development classes. Okay. So, okay. So you guys get started. You're slogging through. Who was the first 
what project was the first to take the bait? Hmm. The first to take the bait, okay, it was a real motley crew. And I'm sure they'll forgive me for describing this way, all good sports. That's you funny. had our, our friends over at, which is okay. uh, Tony Churimoff. So they were the first DAG project in the space. And both Trajan and I were longtime friends. We were very interested and helped support Tony where we could in getting that off the ground. So they came on board with an L1 solution. Parallel with that was our friends at Fuel. So Nick Dodson, who was working on what was probably the first optimistic scaling solution. Okay. So those two, they were like, yeah, we believe that you guys will make this work. We're happy to help. But our real like first champion that kind of got the ball rolling was Harvest Finance. Okay. So some of our earliest supporters had just noticed the major Harvest hack. And Harvest was like, well, we don't want that to happen again. These guys <laughs> seem legit. So they started working with us. They took a big risk on us and it paid off. Nice. Paid off for them. We sourced plenty of great bugs for them and it paid off for us. You know, we got to prove that, okay, these vulnerabilities really do deserve exceptional payouts and we can do the work. You guys are, a, I assume you're a private entity with equity and the whole bit. This isn't a, a DAO or, and there's no token. Not yet. Nice. Nice. Do you see some ways that you could potentially decentralize some of that and, and, and turn it into that? I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying, <laughs> is that something you potentially see being done? I'm happy to be transparent about it. We envisioned Immunify as a decentralized protocol from the very start. We didn't build it that way because we knew that this was actually a pretty deep and complex product problem. Right. Like you have these highly contentious negotiations that go on over this extremely sensitive information with a lot on the line for everyone involved. Everyone's incentivized to come to a deal, but everyone's also incentivized to get the best deal for themselves. Sure. How do you handle that from a UX perspective? Oof. Right? Yeah, that's what, brutal. What considerations should go into the business logic for a protocol? Who knows? This is a bad thing to yellow. <laughs> so we launched I, it as a company first. To figure yeah, out it makes sense. Out. So we are protocolizing, like we're in that process. Nice. Uh, uh, figuring that out and slowly building out all the pieces. But there, it's always gonna be, you know, somewhat of a, a human in the loop market. Sure. On the, at least on the one side, you have the hacker and the project. And right. by definition of the exploit existing, the project was not able to ascertain its existence beforehand. You can't automate the discovery and the validation. Of right. that. It has to be someone who has both the technical skills to validate it and who has the authority to take action on it. Sure. They have to approve it. They have to say, yeah, we agree. This was it. This was an issue. Pay up. Precisely. But the release of funds and seeing what's available in terms of bounties and the projects that want to be looked at, that's certainly, I think, something that can be automated. That can all be automated. Uh, that's all in progress. We will get to the point where we have a permissionless market, which doesn't depend on Immunify or any central party. That is what we're building towards every single nice. day. But even at that point, there's still going to be some human element. Like how are disputes resolved, for example? Are you gonna to need to pull someone in who's trusted right. by both parties to deal with it as one example? Or more likely in the case of many projects, they just want to pay for services. We have many times tried to say, hey, why don't you create your own bug, you know, bug bounty program and design it yourself and so that it beats your specs. And they're like, yeah, but we'd really rather you guys do it. We trust what you think. We don't know how to think about this. That's right? awesome. We get asked questions all the time in the process. It's just part of the service. Sure. So. 
the permissionless protocol for Immunify is coming. Cool. And it will be that, but it will be something new, right? One of these hybrid hybrid protocols where you have service entities on top who are servicing the customers in so far as that's requested using a permissionless marketplace layer for transmitting money and setting rules and expectations. I can't wait to see that. That sounds big. Sounds very big. Did you say earlier that you guys are providing audit services as well? In a matter of speaking. So we don't provide code audit. You know, we leave okay. that to great firms like Trail of Bits or Open Zeppelin or DDoP. But we do on request do audits of security posture, process, and infra. So okay. typically, you know, if you're a DeFi project, you spend so much time in locking down your contracts because money can be stolen from them, and that's very bad. And that's all well and good. But then you know you put your MetaMask on your private phone. You have no protection against SIM swaps. Don't even know what that is. You've never heard of the word spearfish before. You're like 2FA. I don't need that. I've got a password that's 12 characters long. I'm good to go. <laughs> or people do this stuff all the time. And if you're a savvy founder, you realize, hey, you know, yes, I need to protect my contract. Yes, that's my highest priority. Sure. But I also need to protect all my other infra because there's any number of scenarios where if this gets violated, it could lead to the compromising of all of the other assets. You right. know, case in point is getting spearfished, then someone gets access to your to your machines, then they spoof you, then they steal your money. That's happened a hundred times in this space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I just finished an we'll interview. Come in with and help the, with that. That's great. I just finished an interview with the Felix at Gnosis day before yesterday. And we got a little bit into what Gnosis does on that side. It was primarily about CowSwap. But in terms of the the things that your hunters are looking for, you know, one of the things, certainly there are bugs and there are logic issues within contracts. But one of the the other kinds of vulnerabilities are exploits, right? And by exploits, I mean people taking advantage of the logic of a smart contract that's not necessarily hacking code in that contract, but just exploiting the logic of the financial system. Is that also something that your hunters are looking for? Because I actually think that happens um, at significant levels. Everything from flash loan attacks to the iron finance bank run, not understanding the logic of what was going to happen to their stablecoin if any one whale dumped X percent, right? Are those some of the things that people look for for you as well and that and that your your clients are willing to pay for? Absolutely. I, I guess, you know, we should note a few things. Number one is economic attacks. So things like flash loan attacks, things like manipulations of economic logic, even governance attacks of various types. All those are almost always in scope. For a bug bounty program. Okay. So if you find a way to use flash loans, you know, to attack Cream as an example, or to attack XDAI, well, that one's harder to imagine, or to attack uh, the graph in some way, that's in scope. They will pay for it. Nice. Now, uh, I want to make a, a fine distinction on, on bug and exploit. So we kind of use those terms interchangeably, right? The term bug comes from when an actual bug got got stuck in one of the first computers and it prevented things from working. Whereas exploiting is when you take advantage of the logic. But in practice, we kind of use the terms synonymously. Oh, there was a bug. Oh, there was an exploit. The right. only difference between it is like, well, is there impact or not? Right? And even that's a loose distinction. So for any user who, who's curious how to describe it, you know, a bug bounty 
could easily be called an exploit bounty or a hack bounty okay. by the same tokens. It, functionally, it's the same kind of thing. We call it bug bounty basically due to accidents of history and how you know computers came about and the cultures around them. But it refers to, obviously, we're all really interested in the exploits specifically because those are the ones impacted. I get it. That's great. Do you find on the economic attacks that the audit companies are starting to do more of those kinds of reviews or are they sticking strictly to smart contract code? My my thing is, is I think that these are, are vulnerabilities and I just, I'm not aware because I don't know the market well enough of auditing firms of firms that are actually doing a lot of those kinds of things, like even via AI running a bunch of scenarios on it on a given set of contracts and determining other types of vulnerability? Sure. So, you know, that's a great question. We're talking about business logic here, right? Are yeah. the auditors learning to pick up this new and novel business logic and how to leverage other protocols in the ecosystem, such as, you know, obvious flash loan stuff to abuse that business logic? The answer is some of them are. Right. So like I could name a whole bunch of auditing firms that have totally integrated those techniques to the right. point that, you know, we'll see them use those tech, those techniques when hunting bugs on Immunify. Nice. Right. They'll submit a bug bounty and we'll be like, oh, it's an auditor. And he's used this new novel attack pattern that we've seen in the wild. And we'll be like, well, we know what you've been reading, sir. <laughs> we are slightly intimidated. Please don't hurt us. You so know, you have audit companies people. that are actually submitting for oh, bug yeah. bounties as well. Absolutely. That's fascinating. Yeah, once they find one-on-one, -on -one, then they start probably running through and saying, well, who else could we apply this to? Precisely. And uh, crypto code is a little incestuous in that way. Yes. Yeah. All these forking you know, activities going on. So a vulnerability in one place will often be replicated in others. That's awesome. But not all the auditing firms are picking this up. Right? Okay. So there's a real, auditing is a you know, boutique business. Everything is dependent on the skills of the individual craftsmen and the commercial viability of auditing firms is dependent on the ability for those craftsmen to sell their brand. So some of the firms have integrated the new techniques and, and they have a great brand. Other firms have a great brand, but they have none of the new techniques. And then some of the firms have no brand, but they've integrated all the new techniques and they're great. And you as a DeFi founder, and I suppose as a, as a general user of these products, you have to figure out which one's the best for yourself. So it's right. pretty rocky. Pretty yeah, rocky. I'd love to see someone gathering the data on, 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 the, on the projects that are actually utilizing Immunify, utilizing the auditors with the best records, you know, disclosing things to the public. Because I think that that kind of a service is valuable. One of the first interviews I did before I launched the show was for a a project called DeFi Safety. And they do a lot of reviews of, did they have an audit? What things were covered? And right. is documentation available? But it's more about, is this product transparent? Is this project transparent? than it is about them doing a low level dive into what that project has actually done. Do you know of anybody that's like putting all this together and saying, okay, here's the projects that are really buttoned up? Well, I think Rex, and DeFi safety are probably the leading edge of that. Okay. And we're, make no mistake, we're big fans of their work. You know, they're doing awesome. a labor, a labor of love. So they're probably the most sophisticated players in terms of both the number of projects that they review and the comprehensiveness of their reports. Right. Uh, you do have some data sets 
like the guys at DeFi Yield have stuff on hacks and stuff on audits, but it's not it's not a rating per se. Right. You know, it's just a data it's just a data set. So it's not useful for that purpose. I think some of the insurers are coming out with systems like that over the next ah, six months. Cool. But none of those are really out yet. So okay. as far as like the pseudo Moody's like entity or you know, you know, Fitch's, you know, for for bond ratings, you know, what's the equivalent of that rating these tokens for safety in crypto? I think you, it's just DeFi safety at the moment. Cool. Which makes me a sad panda. Yeah. I'm gonna Mission DeFi is sponsored by Material Indicators. Material Indicators brings science to investing and helps investors make more informed and smarter trading decisions. Their powerful community of thousands of experienced investors is free to join and is available to anyone that wants to learn more about trading crypto successfully. Visit their website at materialindicators.com. That's materialindicators.com. Or join their community on Telegram by searching for Material Indicators. Okay, so that was very interesting. And in terms of the audit space and the tracking and understanding who's done what, I, I think that's something that I think that's something that we as a community will all need to get better about understanding and seeing what's available. Because uh, look, look, I think you know so many people just ape in on high percentage returns and barely even scratch the surface of looking at these things. I think it's becoming something that's more prevalent for people to look at. But, you know, there's a lot of new people coming in that I'm fearful won't even realize that they need to do that. So that makes me nervous. Yes. That's Rightly so. Nervous. Makes me very right? All these users are coming in expecting FinTech levels of security, you know, FDIC insurance, various equivalents. <laughs> they don't understand. There's a reason YOLOing is a prevalent prevalent statement in our space and a cultural element, right? The yeah. reason the early users are called degenerates <laughs> for taking, you know, very clearly irresponsible choices with obscene amounts of capital. This is the environment we're going into. And only things like DeFi safety, if they mature, are going to deal with that. Yeah. Hopefully I agree. us too. Yeah. But yeah. you know, they're doing a especially good job. Well, I mean, you could certainly see that you can be kind of kind of a hub for for everything because you really are, I mean, you really kind of are becoming that as a company, right? You're handling the problems after they happen. You're trying to help prevent the problems before they happen. I'm sure you deal with a lot of audit firms on a regular basis. Sometimes they don't like you because you find things they didn't catch, but I'm sure <laughs> other times they, they like the idea of partnering together. And I'm certain there's probably referral opportunities back and forth. Do have you run into projects do you ever have top problems with projects that just don't want to admit, even though they signed up for the program, but are just hardcore about not wanting to pay up on the actual sure. bounties? Because yeah, okay, so that's sure that's it a, happens. That's a normal thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the trick with doing business this way is the customers set their bounty programs, and some of them are just in it to make a good name for themselves. You know, reputation mining if they will. Now, if they quickly, if they did not already understand by the nature of our business model, they quickly come to learn that our tolerance for that is extremely low. <laughs> because, uh, you know, doing business with us in such a way that we don't get paid is not a good way to do business with us. Of course, of course. So, you know, these lead to various discussions. 
that go on in the back rooms as you're like, well, look, you know, if you don't want your program, that's fine. You can take it down, but you must deal with the reports. A big part of our role is championing the hackers and the security researchers, right? Sure. They don't have the leverage or the weight of a larger project. They don't have the capital. They already did the work. They already showed good faith and goodwill in disclosing the vulnerability and they want to be treated fairly. So sure. it's them that we champion that's in our good. dealings with the projects. Yeah, I mean, they're they're absolutely critical. I mean, these are people who would make a choice between responsibly reporting something to help buddy, somebody avoid a huge mess versus hacking the thing and taking the money, right? And so you really should, we should as a community be rewarding those folks as much as possible. We really should, right? We, we, <laughs> it's like- We really I, should. If, and if I'm on the project side of it, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We, we have solved a problem that we didn't have to do the work to find and that we could have destroyed us. So yeah, pay up. That's crazy. We're getting there. Look, um, we're getting there. The standards are shifting, right? You know, I mean, look, at the start of this year when we launched, there was got, I think there was a total of 40 bug bounty programs in the totality of crypto. Right. Maybe we missed a dozen or two dozen, but 40 was about a, a good get bet for how many of these programs are serious. Now there's 150 on Immunify alone, not including all the other ones in the community. So the standards are changing and projects are becoming more open to paying. They're willing to put up more serious amounts. They're willing to joke around less. Like these things are all professionalizing. But while we, we're still going through that period, we have plenty of, let's say, jocular individuals who we have to support in their education as to what good conduct is. That's great. You're very diplomatic. That's awesome. How many people on the team right now? 25 people. Wow. That's a, that's serious growth, man. It is. It is. So 25 people, and I'd like to double that over the next six to nine months. We'll see how wow. that goes. It is pretty crazy how fast things are going, but that's uh, what it takes. Well, you're All a barometer day, for the growth of DeFi, I guess. We are. You know, you could think of a lot of our work as being this kind of, as a very peculiar kind of index on the growth of DeFi, right? Like our customers represent essentially user funds being protected. The bounties represent the size of the bounties going up in the space. Almost every major DeFi project uses Immunify. So when DeFi grows, we grow. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. We talked about decentralization a little bit. What else, is there other things coming from Immunify that we should be excited coming are you just trying to keep things rolling the way they are and you've got enough on your plate it sounds like that decentralization job is pretty significant yeah i think there are two things that would be most interesting to people the first one is you really haven't seen anything yet for what security is going to look like in blockchain world right for crypto and especially for DeFi, also for nfts increasingly there is going to be a whole security industry that pops up to service these things. And the, the situations and circumstances which happen are going to be an order of magnitude, more extreme, impactful, and dramatic than they were wow. in traditional cybersecurity. You know, consider wow. a bunch of randos on the internet have already on multiple occasions, you know, us and other groups of randos, like uh, Sam CC's <laughs> son, praise be to he for his good work have saved hundreds of millions of dollars right more than once this is becoming a thing there's a whole class of people you can say 
directly saved hundreds of millions of dollars from media theft. And this is at the earliest stages, the earliest points of our That's industry. incredible. When you think about right, it These that things way. are going to grow. Yeah. It, it could just as easily have been a $10 billion situation. Yeah. So number one is you haven't seen anything yet in terms of the drama that's going to nice. unfold. Please watch it with uh, open eyes. <laughs> Hopefully they have happy endings. We'll see. But you also haven't seen anything in terms of the size of the incentives. Right. Today, our biggest bug bounty is 2.5 million. And I'm looking to get that towards 5 million, 10 million over the next six months, because there's no reason for a bug bounty on a multi-billion dollar pool of funds not to be that much. Well, and you, you've got to flip the incentives, right? If, if, if the incentives are not there and there's a billion dollars sitting in front of a hacker, you know, all of us have our weaknesses. Correct. You know, let's not test people's will exactly. with a billion dollars. That seems exactly. like a bad plan. Yeah. So... People should be preparing themselves for that. Like all these dramatic incidents in security and DeFi are not an anomaly. They are the new norm and they will only get bigger. That makes me nervous just saying it. That's, that's but awesome. The other side is the decentralization side. So we are decentralizing ourselves. DAO is the direction that we will go. Protocolization is the way that we will go. And there really is space for anyone to get involved in security and block sec and DeFi security right now. That's if you want to go and make a name for yourself, there's space for you to come and contribute. There's champions like us at Immunify, people like Rex at DeFi Safety and many others who will support your work, will help you drive it, who will champion your interests. You just have to decide you want to participate. If you want to go do that, you can get involved in almost all of these early security projects. That's awesome. That's great. It's it's what I tell everyone. There are so many opportunities in this space, you know, but from community to marketing, to sales, to security, to development, to, I mean, it's just incredible. And everyone needs help. Yes. Everyone I certainly do. In case anyone was curious, you're <laughs> what are you hiring by the Immunified Discord. What are you hiring for? We're hiring executives, hiring a head of product right now, hiring a head of talent. We're hiring community managers. We're hiring developer evangelists who are willing to spread the word and help people build up their skills in this area. We're nice. hiring salespeople. We're hiring analysts to help us wow. analyze events, forensics and such. There's basically something for everyone. Everybody should, should, should get that resume into you. Awesome. That would be most welcome. Okay. I had one more question. There, I'm assuming there are minimums for projects. What, what solutions do you think there are? So there are projects, there's a project I advised that did a fair launch, right? And so there's not a big treasury there, but there are funds under management. Projects like that, are there solutions or ways that you think they can help improve their security, but obviously they don't have a big budget to pay out for bounties? Sure. Okay. So there are two points here. Like the first, do we have minimums? No, we don't. Awesome. Specifically to accommodate for situations like this. Nice. And yes, people still find bugs on things, but only like a thousand dollar reward because a lot of bug hunters just want to help and they actually care. That's one side. But on the fair launch side, like the ultimate problem with bug bounties is the way they the way they are today, is that the way we fund bug bounties is disconnected from or very often disconnected 
from how benefit accrues to the beneficiaries of the bug bounty, right? So say, you know, miscellaneous project A and they've got $100 million in TVL, which is all potentially at risk, but the token holders for that project are party B, right? Uh, set of people B. Now, set of people B decides the bug bounty. They're probably gonna analyze the bug. They're probably gonna be the ones to fix it, but they aren't actually the primary beneficiaries. They're the secondary beneficiaries because they're preserving the value of their tokens. But right. the primary beneficiaries are the users who don't get robbed. Right. So who should pay for that? Makes sense. Right? Yeah. Now, if there was a cleaner instrument or way for the users themselves to say, hey, you know, in the event that a critical vulnerability is found here, we will put up 5%, 10%, 15% of our allocation towards a bounty, but only in that case, then I'm okay with that. You can take the money. That's cool. That's actually a right. good model. I like that. That so, would solve some of these problems, but that doesn't yeah. yet exist. You know, this is okay. something we're working on today. Nice. It's a thought experiment. Well, look, I think the people that are fully engaged in a project would be open to that. I also think that that's something that as people are doing a launch, they should be factoring in a budget of some kind from token sales to, to fair, to bug bounties, right? Like, Hey folks, we're not doing this thing unless we have the money for bug bounties or audits or whatever. I'm glad to hear you guys are working on it and really excited that you don't have a minimum. I thought those guys were kind of left out in the cold. So that's really good news. Bug bounties um, for all, awesome. not just the millionaires. <laughs> that's great. Anything else we should know about Munify, about you, about what you guys are doing? I have, I have a couple more questions, but they're the typical questions I ask everybody, so. Gotcha. I think the important thing for people to understand in case they're interested in getting involved in our community is that we really do care about protecting the space. So if you decide you want to come along, not only are you going to be surrounded by great technical minds, a number of which are easily the best around, but you're going to be around people who actually care about helping others. You're going to be around people who actually care about the space progressing in a positive way that benefits a lot of people. So for anyone who's curious about, you know, what kind of community is, whether they should spend their valuable time on that. I would say if you believe that crypto has something to contribute to the lives of normal people and you want to protect that, that possibility, then we're a great place for you. And how should they connect to you? The best way is just to join the Discord and send you know whatever greeting they find most entertaining to themselves. We awesome. will reciprocate. Have, uh, do they find the Discord channel on your Twitter feed or at Immunify or website? You can find it on our Twitter at Immunify. You can also find it on our website. There's a big button that says community. If you click it, you'll be sent to our Discord. Just verify your account and then you're in with the rest of us. Feel free to talk to whoever you wish. I respond to all messages personally. Nice, very nice. All right, so the, the other question I ask every guest is, do you have a person or project in DeFi that you think, and they don't have to be famous or they can be famous, that you think is going to have a significant impact going forward or is incredibly important to what we're doing that you really think that these people are awesome? That's a spicy question. I think like we already have an example of that, which is not for the reason most people suspect. And that's Yearn. And I don't really care about Yearn for what the, the DAO does per se. You know, it's basically a decentralized hedge fund. Okay. Right. Right. Yay. <laughs> that that's not important. 
what's important is they're a great example as to how DAOs can and should work and organize labor. And nice. for this, they really are the trendsetters. It's for this that they could easily have 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 copycats that if they worked could scale to hundreds of thousands of people. And that's the reason why Yearn is probably one of the most impactful projects. Pro yeah, you know, they're, they're really at the top of that list. They figured out how to DAO well. It's pretty yeah. magnificent. Well, and I, I agree that they are incredibly impactful. And I, I've spent a lot of time over the last month in interviews talking about DAOs and talking about decentralization and, and the impact it's going to have in DeFi, but also the impact I know it's going to have in just kind of normal world. I, I think we're going to have like massively fundamental changes. I mean, you know, in DeFi, if you just look at like today or yesterday, Eric Voorhees and Shapeshift launched the source code to their entire platform after they took their highly profitable company and turned it into a DAO, you know, and it's those kinds of examples where it's like this company turns themselves into a DAO and then launches everything that they use to run their business to the rest of the world to be able to copy, right? It's, there's, there's some really amazing things happening. I'm excited about it. It's that cool. was a boldly move by them. Yeah, totally, totally. Mitchell, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone else will. I think it helps people become more conscious of what's going on in DeFi in terms of security. And I'm really glad you guys are there making money at helping us all be safer. That's awesome. Thanks, Brad. Really appreciate it. It was lovely to be here. You're a great host. Mitchell and the team at Immunify are out there working to help us be safer in DeFi, which helps DeFi grow and helps everyone spread the word about financial freedom. So I'm really excited to have had Mitchell on today. I'm excited they're building a company that's growing and making money with the right incentives in our space to uh, encourage safety for users, but also to get people with the skills needed to help solve these problems incentivized to solve the problems before they become bigger problems. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends on Twitter. We're trying to grow. Thank you very much.